So, like, I love the fact that we sang a song that was straight out of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And what, what we learn in this is Matthew, kind of at the beginning of the, the Gospel of Matthew, if you've got uh, your Bibles or your Bible apps open, you're going to want those. You're going to open up to Matthew. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 7 today, right? So just grab your Bible, Bible app. If you need a Bible, we've got some on the back. They're free. You can take them home. We're going to do some, some circling and highlighting and underlining in our Bibles today. Uh, but in the beginning of, of Matthew, when, when Jesus starts his public ministry, we, we talked about this this summer. In fact, we spent all summer talking about the message that Jesus preached over and over and over and over again to all of us who maybe are all the people back in his day and maybe for all of us in this day now who experienced cancel culture. Right? Jesus had one message that he preached over and over and over again, and that was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that word repent means to change direction, right? That word repent means to, to, to shift the, the way that you're going, to turn away from something in order, to, in order to turn towards something else, something better. And Jesus says what you're turning away from and turning towards is the kingdom. And the kingdom isn't something that you have to wait for. The kingdom isn't something like that happens, you know, the, the day of your funeral or the day that you pass away, right? Like eternal life, the life, the with God life that he desires for us is something that we can begin to live in here and, and now. My friend Jim Bergen, who's a pastor out in Colorado, he unpacks this verse like this. Basically it means this. You can reconsider, you can rethink, and you can rework your strategy for how you plan on living your life. And what you think and what you hope and what you count on or what you believe will give you the results in life that you say that you want. Now, let me just say this. We can leave this up here for just a second. The way we take notes at Adventure, if today's your first Sunday, is the, the easiest way to do it is just take a picture of the screen. So today, I'm just going to, and really for the next handful of weeks, you're going to want to have your phones ready so you can grab pictures of the screens. Because what we're going to be unpacking over the next few weeks is just stuff that hopefully you can walk right out of here today and go, okay, I'm going to do something about that. But really, when we think about this, this rethink, this repent, right, this is what this means, that, that because of Jesus, you can kind of reconsider. You can rethink your life. You can rework your plan. You can rework that strategy. And here's why. Because according to Jesus, it's now possible for anyone and everyone to live every moment of every day connected to a God that loves you, a God that likes you, and a God that wants his unique goodness for you. And when we see the, the word good in scripture, right, when we see God, especially when he looks at creation like at the beginning in Genesis, when he steps back and says it's good, that word good means it works like it's supposed to. Like this, basically God steps back and looks at creation and says this is what I had in mind, right? So he wants that for us because sin has broken that and sin has, has torn all this stuff up, and right? But, but God says, listen, you can have a piece of what I, I have in mind, even on this side of, of heaven. He wants that unique goodness for us. Now, this isn't some prosperity gospel, right? This isn't some, like, healthy and wealthy, like, you'll be healthy and wealthy if you just believe. That, that's not what this is all about, and that's not what this series is going to be all about. But, he, but here's what could be real for us. Because of what Jesus makes possible for you and I, we could actually say that we enjoy our lives. I mean, think about that for a second. Because of what Jesus makes possible for us, we could say that we enjoy our lives because we have real joy in our lives because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus makes possible in our daily lives, we can live and experience the, truly, the truest and realest forms of peace and abundance and security and safety on this side of heaven. We don't have to wait. 
Like there's elements of that that we can begin to experience on this side of heaven, and that's what we call an adventure, the with God life. It's a life that we live with God, connected to God. God living and working inside of us through his spirit, through his power, through his presence. That's what that's all about. And, and let's just be honest for a second, okay? Let's just think about this. Go back to... Go back to your junior year or senior year of high school or maybe for some of us when we were in our 20s, right? Students in the room, like you're probably thinking about some of this stuff like right now. Go back to when you started, like when people started to ask you this question. So what do you think you're going to do with your life? Go back to those moments. And maybe some of you are like, well, that was this morning at 8 o'clock, right? Like I'm not quite sure. Go back to junior year, junior year senior year of high school, your 20s when you are in college. You, you started to kind of get a dream, right? You got a dream. You got an idea, of what you wanted your life to look like 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. And I'm guessing, right, I'm guessing that no one in here said, you know what I really want? I'm really shooting for a pretty bland and boring and average life. Like, that's what I want. I want an average life. I, I, I want an average spouse with a really bland and unexciting marriage, and we'll have 2.4 average kids, and we'll work boring jobs, and we'll go to a blah average church where the preacher never goes over time. And we'll live out the rest of our bland, boring, and unexciting lives doing bland and boring and average things. And then we'll have bland, boring, and average funerals. That's not what any of us wanted. I don't think that's what we were going for. I don't think that's what we had in mind for our lives. But here's what happens. The pressure and the stress that we receive and we experience in this world starts to kind of squeeze us. Starts to press in on us. And because we as human beings are terrified of being uncomfortable, we start settling for whatever kind of life relieves the pressure. Whatever kind of life doesn't push back, whatever kind of life doesn't make waves, whatever kind of life doesn't make noise. I mean, at least a bland and boring life feels somewhat safe. I heard somebody say one time that eagles may soar, but chickens don't get sucked into jet engines. You know, it's like, ah, yeah, an eagle, that would be awesome. That's a majestic animal. But chickens are relatively, it's relatively safe. We have a hard time believing, right, that peace and abundance and security and safety on this side of heaven are possible. Because, you know, we, we, you hear someone like me say that and you go, Brad, like, have you seen what it's like out there? Yes. Yes, I have. I mean, do you watch the news? I try not to. Have, have you refreshed your Twitter feed? I try not to, right? Yes, I have. Like, and I get it, right? It's not joyful. It feels joyless. It's not peaceful. It feels like 360 degrees of unending tension and conflict at all times. Like, we don't live in abundance. Gas costs $4 a gallon. Right? I went to the pump the other day, and it was like you can pay with a credit card, a debit card, or you could donate an organ. I'm like, well, what, what will a kidney get me? About a half a tank, right? Like, that's kind of what it is these days, right? Nothing feels safe or secure. It feels like we're riding this wave of insecurity that isn't only dangerous, but it feels like it could break over us or break on us or just plain break us at any minute. And so I know it's easy for a lot of us to hear what Jesus says about repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I know some of us, because I've felt this way before, I go, I don't know that I'm buying what Jesus is selling. Like, I don't know that I can, I mean, that's, I don't know that I can believe this. And Jesus would say, that's okay, I knew you'd feel that way. See, he knew that we would feel, that we, that we would feel that way, that Jesus, I don't know that we can believe this. Like, have you looked around? 
He knew that we would ask those kinds of questions. He knew that we would have doubts and fears when it came to faith. And what faith is, is essentially believing in and having confidence in him to lead our lives and provide for us. That we would feel more in control if we could just do that. Like, Jesus, I don't know that you can really provide for my life and lead my life as well as I can. He knew that we would have doubt. And that's why what Jesus did a lot of the time was he, he taught, he used parables when he would teach. And I had a, a college professor that used to say this, that parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. In other words, it's this, a parable is like what Jesus came to do, what Jesus came preaching and teaching was at times so unfathomable to people like us that Jesus had to put it in ways that we could really wrap our heads around. He had to explain it in a way that we would go, oh, well, when you say it like that, so, so that we could really understand the truth and the reality of who he was and what his truth means for the day-to-day reality of our lives, Jesus had to explain it in ways that we could really understand it. And at the end of Matthew chapter 7, if you've got your Bibles open, right, this is kind of the end of one of Jesus' most famous sermons. It's the song we just sang. He's, he's out on a hillside, right? He's teaching to the most disqualified, outcast, throwaway people. In fact, the people that Jesus teaches to in the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked about this here, were a group of people, they, they belonged to a class of people back in this day called the Anawim, which is a Hebrew word that literally means throwaway people. They were seen as kind of human garbage. They were sick. They were poor. They worked dirty jobs. They did. I mean, it was, they, 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 were, they were disqualified. They were outcasts. They, they were not welcome inside the church. They were not welcome inside religious circles. They were not welcome among self-righteous people. And so Jesus, he teaches them. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the end of chapter 7, here's what he says. After preaching through all kinds of things, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man. And the word wise, when you see wisdom in Scripture, wise means skilled, right? Skilled living. When, wise, when wisdom gets applied to life, it literally means you live in, in such a way that you're skilled. You are skilled at living your life. He said, anyone who, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man, someone who, who is skilled at life, who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on the house but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And then Jesus says, and everybody who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish person. And and I love the fact that the word foolish in Scripture, the Greek word is the word moros, which is the word we get moron from. And it doesn't mean dumb. It's not, when, when Jesus talks about wisdom and foolishness, he's not talking about intelligence. No, the word foolish actually means something way worse than dumb or, or lack of intelligence. It means empty. It means useless. It means unwilling to learn. And Jesus says someone like that, someone who is empty and useless and unwilling to learn, is like someone who builds their house on sand, and when the rains come and the floods come and the winds blow and they beat against that house, it falls. And Jesus says great was the fall of it. And so this is an example of a parable, right? That Jesus, he talks about our lives. He talks about his truth, about what happens, right, when, when, when our way of doing things, when our plans and our dreams collide with his way of doing things and his plans and his dreams. And really, this is Jesus' kind of first, you've got two deals on the table moment, which we talk about that a lot here. Jesus basically says, you can live this way or that way, but the way that he helps us to understand these two deals and what they mean is by comparing our lives to a house. Think about it. Where do you keep the people and the things that matter the most to you? 
in your house. It doesn't matter if your house is an actual house, if it's an apartment, if it's a condo, if it's a patio home, if it's your parents' basement, right? What matters is this, right? Our houses are more than just brick and mortar and studs and drywall. It's not just a house. It's our home. And home is where we run to. Home is where we keep what matters most to us. Home is where we usually start our day and where we come back at the end. Our homes are what we build our lives around. So, as you start to think about your house, think about your house as a reflection of your life. That's what Jesus is essentially inviting you to do here. Think about your house. Think about your life as if it were a house built on either a rock or on sand. But here's the truth, right? And we all know this. It's not just the houses that we try to build ourselves. We also have to contend and deal with the houses and the history that built us. Take a listen to this.
How many of you thought we were done? <laughs> Wrong. I love that song. Uh, you know, sometimes, again, parables. And, and you've got a pastor who relates to the world in a lot of ways through music. I love music. And, and, and so I was listening to that song this week, and, and it hit me that that's what a lot of us do. We, we get out into the world. We try to leave home and move on, and we lose who we are. We lose who we're supposed to be. It all gets lost in the mess. And at some point, we start to kind of fight to get back to, man, if I could just, like Miranda Lambert sings in that song, I thought if I could just touch this place that I would feel it. That I could get back into this, that, that brokenness inside me would start healing, right? That I'm not going to take anything but a memory from the house that built me. A lot of us, that's what we do. We try to get back home. And for many of us, home, the house that built us, was a house that was filled with anger, abuse, Sadness, addiction. For some of us, the house that built us was a house that was stable and there was joy. We talked about Jesus. Some of us, we find ourselves in between. And so for the rest of this series, we're going to press further and further into our lives as houses, this parable that Jesus introduces us to. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about front doors and fences the things that protect our house. We're going to talk about our living rooms, where we spend our time, the bedroom, our kids' rooms, the dining room, our guest rooms, and so on and so on and so on. Because just like in our houses, there are spaces in our lives that can either be peaceful, abundant, secure, and safe, or full of conflict and empty and scary and dangerous. And when it comes down to what we experience in those spaces in our lives, we have responsibility. We have responsibility. It doesn't matter it doesn't matter in a lot of ways that the house that built you was this way or that way. And when I say that, I'm not discounting what your past was like. I'm not trying to say, hey, your past doesn't matter and your family and your relationships don't matter. I'm saying that here's the deal. That stuff does matter, but still you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. The things in your past and the house that built you, it may not be your fault. But you do have some responsibility when it comes to building your house and the house that your family will live in. And as we've said a lot in here, you know, the condition of our houses, the, the condition of our lives, that's our responsibility. We've got to get in the same room with Jesus and let him show us a way to fix it. And according to Jesus, the, the first area of responsibility, the things that, that's most important, the most important part of a house is really the part of the house that you don't really see at all. It's the foundation. And according to Jesus, what your life is built on will be the difference maker in determining whether or not your life is still standing after the I didn't see that coming moments in your life. And we've all had those. We've all had those moments where it's like, I, I, I don't know how I could have prepared for that. I don't know how I, I saw that coming. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't see that. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't expect to go to the doctor. It was just, it was just a checkup. And, and, and now all of a sudden I'm, I'm hearing that I've got this. And this is my diagnosis. And, and this is what the rest of my life could potentially look like. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see it coming when I got the 2 a.m. phone call that told me that my kids were in a car wreck. 
that they're in serious condition and they're being taken to the hospital. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see it coming when I found out that someone that meant a lot to me in life decided to end their own. I didn't see that coming. See, your home is where you live your life. It's what people see when they drive past your house or when they look at your life, all that stuff that's above ground. But how you live your life, that reveals what your home and what your life are truly built on. And it may not be what people see, but the foundation of your life reveals the truest things about who we are. And so what I want us to do is I want us, I want us to make sure we catch a few really critical details here in Matthew chapter 7. The first one is this. Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine and does them. So if you've got your Bible open or your Bible app, just go ahead and circle, highlight, underline, whoever hears these words of mine and then like big, bold, whatever you need to do, stars, like draw pictures, like does them. It's not just hearing them, it's doing them. We'll be like the wise builder. And again, my, my friend Jim says this, it, it won't make one bit of difference in, in your life if, if, you, if you hear and believe or agree with what Jesus says is a better way to live your life, but then you don't actually put into practice what he's telling you what he's telling you to do and how he's telling you to live. It won't make a difference. You can look at Jesus and say, well, yeah, Jesus, I hear you. I agree with you. I believe that what you're saying is true. And all this sounds good, but I'm not going to do anything about it. James tells us in chapter 2 of his letter that even the demons believe in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They believe he is who he is. They believe that, that he's done all the things that he said he was going to do. They know who Jesus is. But they don't do anything about what they believe to be true about Jesus. So hearing and believing and agreeing with Jesus and then not doing something about what Jesus says puts you and I in the same category as the demons if that's what we do. Like, yeah, Jesus, I know who you are. And I know what you did. And, and I know what you want. And I know what you say is good, real, right, and true. But I think I can run my life. I think I can build my house better than you. And again, if you're taking notes, get ready, right? When it comes to the foundation of our lives, the difference between wisdom, which means this, we'll still be standing, and foolishness, which is full collapse. The difference between still standing and full collapse isn't hearing, agreeing with, or believing in what Jesus says. It's acting on what Jesus says is good, real, right, and true by doing something about it or not. Like, what do I mean, though? Like, when, you, when I say, like, doing something about it, what do I mean? Like, doing something about it is, is the action of you and I being, being able to honestly say to Jesus, when it comes to my life and the lives of those people that are connected to me, my friends, my family, my spouse, my kids, right, those kinds of, the lives of those that you've given me and the lives of those that you've said Jesus, like, Jesus has looked at you and said, you are accountable and responsible for these people. Like, sure, I've got my own thoughts, and my own opinions and my own ideas and my own ways to get the results that I think I want for me and my family and my wife and my kids. I have my own ways. You and I, we both do. We both have our own ways of getting what we want and what we think is best for ourselves and for them. But taking action on what Jesus says would say this, not my ways, Jesus, but yours. Not my will and desire be done, Jesus, but your will and desire be done in my life as it is in the lives of my family. See, just a few verses before this in Matthew 7, Jesus says this. Which one of you, if, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And some of us are going, well, I don't know, Brad. I don't know how to do the things that that Jesus wants me to do. And my question is this, have you asked him? Have you asked him to reveal that to you? Or maybe it's this. Let me just ask this question. Could it be? Could it be possible that God's dreams and desires for you and your family are better than anything you could ever possibly imagine on your own for yourself or for them? Could that be real? And again, let me just say this. It doesn't equate to to new cars in the garage or some extra figures in your bank account, right? Or or what zip code you live in or or the square footage of your house. See, Jesus, he also talks about that too, right, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not interested in treasures that are going to fade and fall apart. He's not. That's not where you should root your security. When it comes to what our lives are really built on, what Jesus points us to is the reality that real peace, abundant security, and safety for ourselves and for our families actually doesn't fit in a garage and doesn't come with a price tag. All of that is fool's gold. It looks like it's valuable. It's shiny, but it's worthless. Jesus would say chasing after those things, it's empty and it's useless when it comes to the foundations of our lives. It won't hold up and protect us against the fires of life that we'll face. And this is a really, this next part of this, I need us to understand, is is a really critical piece of this today. Jesus, he does not promise us a fire-free life. He promises us a fireproof life that won't burn down and collapse. And yes, I know that's a cheesy pastor line, and yes, I know that's a movie starring Kirk Cameron. Don't, don't throw stones, okay? Here's the truth. Jesus never promised us that if we put his words into practice, then he will prevent all the car wrecks and cancer and casualties and consequences of living in a world that's soaked in sin and brokenness. He never promised that. What he does promise us is that if people like you and I will get up and will go out of rooms like this on days like today and actually do what he says, then our lives won't fall down and fall apart when the wildfires that we face are all around us, when those things hit our lives. He says it won't fall apart. And I know what some of us are thinking here in, in, in this moment, right? We're thinking this, my life, my house has already burned down. It didn't matter how hard I tried to put out the fire, it wouldn't go out. In fact, the harder I tried to put out the fire, the faster it spread through my whole life. And now, Brad, it feels like there's nothing left. What are people like, what am I supposed to do? For many of us, I know this is true. The defining statements in our lives start to sound like this. It was or it is too late for us. Life, Life for us just is what it is. You ever said that? Just is what it is. This is just what it is for us, right? This is just how it goes for us. Or maybe some of us, when we're standing in that wreckage or sitting in that wreckage, we go, you know what, I just wish I, wish I would have done things differently, and maybe next time, if there is a next time, I will. And again, my friend Jim would say this, many of us have, have built or are trying to build our lives on shaky ground at best, and for a lot of us, the foundations of our lives, it's made of sand that will shift or has shifted already, and it's either already fallen down and collapsed on us, or it's just a matter of time before it does. And that's really the point of this whole series. Because of Jesus, it's not too late. Because of Jesus, it doesn't have to be just what it is. 
Because of Jesus, this doesn't have to be the way that it goes. And here's what I know. Not everybody who sets out to build a home for themselves, a life for themselves, ends up with the one they wanted. I know that. Not everybody that sets out to kind of build that life that you dream and desire, that life that you envisioned when you were sitting in, in your senior year of high school or your senior year of college or when you're answering the questions from aunts and uncles when they say, like, what do you want your life to be about? We've got this idea. I wanted to be an astronaut. I'm on Earth, right? Not, not all of us. We end up with the life that we wanted. But here's what I know to be true. Because of Jesus, it's not over. Because of Jesus, it's not done. And that's the reason why we're going to spend the next two months, right, the next eight weeks talking about our houses, our lives, our marriages, our families, our kids, our relationships. Because we need to come face to face with this reality. As I was thinking about this this week, right, I came face to face with a couple different realities. And that's this. Number one is this. The idea or the allure of building our lives on beachfront property, like we love that. Like I'd love for my life to be a beach house. What that's done is it's made our lives unstable and unsafe and at times unlivable because the foundation is made of sand that can't, won't, and never was going to be able to support us and the lives of our families and the friends and people we care about. It never was going to. But man, that looks good. That kind of life looks awesome. That kind of life built around those kinds of things, like I would love to have a beachfront house. But pursuing that kind of life for yourself and for the people in your life, the people, those you're responsible for and going to be held accountable for, that kind of life never was going to be able to support you, even though it promised it would. And the truth is this. We're either too afraid to admit that maybe we don't know. We don't know how to begin to make some major changes in our lives. We talked about this in our men's group on Wednesday, right? We're talking about what it means to be spiritually mature as we read through the book of Hebrews. And it was. It was like as we're having this discussion with the men in that room, it's like, you know, as, as men, as people, as men and women, like we don't want, we don't like to admit that we don't know how to do something. And I think that in a lot of ways that's, that's really true for guys. Just ask a guy to stop and get directions. I know where we're going. What does Waze say? Waze says, Waze is wrong. Dude, there's a satellite in outer space looking down at the traffic. It's right. You're not. Right? We don't like to know. We don't, we don't like to admit, like, I, I, know, I know some changes need to be made, but I don't know what to do. We don't like admitting that. So it's either that we are too afraid to, to admit that we don't know what to do or we're either too afraid, too stubborn, or too arrogant to actually do something about it. I know what Jesus says, but I got this. I can do this better than him. Or I know what Jesus says, but I don't know that I can trust him. See, the reason we're looking at our lives like they were houses and homes is so that we can be reminded of what's really and truly at stake. And that's why Jesus did that. That's why Jesus used that parable. It's because, like, if Jesus just said there and said, listen, whatever you build your life on, right, that's going to be the difference maker in terms of whether your life is going to collapse or be standing after the fires and storms hit your life. We would all go, uh-huh. But he says, no, all right, let me, let me put it in terms that you actually might care about. Think about your house and your home and everything in your home and all the people that live in your home. Just imagine, just imagine that, that a wildfire or a storm came over the hill and, and just wrecked your house and the whole thing collapsed and killed everybody inside. You're like, oh, no. 
the reason we're doing this, the reason that we're following Jesus down this trail is because when we start thinking about our marriages and our lives and our families and our relationships in ways that we can understand, then we start to see what's really at stake. And then maybe we'll take Jesus up on his offer to build our lives on the rock of his life and his ways and his word. So how do we do that? Flip back or forward in your Bibles to, to, to Mark chapter 12. And let me just give you some context as you're flipping to, 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 to Mark 12. Jesus had just been asked by some of the religious leaders in a way to kind of bait him and trap him, right, to prove that he was wrong and discredit him. Jesus had been asked about, you know, what, what's the most important commandment? Jesus, if you could boil the, the Bible and the law and all the teaching and the Old Testament and all the prophets and, and everything, if you could boil that down to just one really important thing, Jesus, what would that be? And here's what Jesus answers, starting in verse 29. He says, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He says, and you shall love. That word love is a choice word. Right? We, we, we attach emotion to the word love. For, for Jesus and for many of the people back in this day, love was a choice word. It, it would say this, that, that I choose the Lord my God with all my heart. And the heart the reason Jesus mentions this is because whatever or whoever sits on the throne of your heart will sit on the throne of your life. And so you got to start thinking, well, who is that? Who is it? If I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose the Lord with all my heart, what's sitting on the throne of my heart right now? Is it my pursuit of Jesus? Is it his word, his truth, his gospel? Or is it that promotion at work? Is it your boss? Is it your kids? Is it your spouse? Is it success? Is it performance? What's sitting on the throne of your life right now? And he says, with all your soul. Choose the Lord with, with all your soul. The soul in, in this day kind of represented depth and connection, right? The soul is how God stays connected and involved with the ones that he loves the most. The soul is how God stays connected with us, right? Through his Holy Spirit. And it's the same for us. What's your soul connected to? What are you connecting your life to right now? What are you expecting to, to provide for you and your family and the people you love and care about? What, what is it that you have this deep connection with? Can it fulfill those promises? Will it make good on those promises? And then Jesus says, with, with all your mind, choose, choose God with all your mind. And I love this. Jesus basically says this because he adds your mind to this, right? We'll talk about where this originally comes from here in just a second. Jesus adds this one, basically, because Jesus knows us. He goes, you're going to have to use your brain. Make wise choices. In Matthew 10, Jesus says that you're like lambs among wolves. Brain. You're going to have to make wise choices. And then Jesus says, with all your strength. And I love this, because the Hebrew word for strength means muchness. Love the Lord with all your muchness. And strength for us is what gets things done. But strength isn't rooted in the pursuit of power. Strength is rooted here in love. And some of us know this. Love without strength says, I love you, but I'm not actually willing to do anything about it. And maybe as we think about the houses that built us, that's what we realize our houses were like. There were people in our houses that would say the words, I love you, but when the time came for them to do something about it, they didn't do anything. They didn't act. I hear you telling me you love me, but I don't see it. Some of us, we know exactly what that feels like. And strength without love, that's angry, that's abusive. 
That's authoritarian. And there's some of us in the room that know exactly what that feels like. It was all strength. It was no love. So Jesus says, if you want to know what it looks like to do this, you have to choose God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your muchness. And then he says the second one is like this. You shall love your neighbor, which means you shall love the people in your life as yourself. And Jesus says that there are no other commandments greater than these. And this is called the, the Shema, right? And it, it, it's the most often prayer prayed in the Jewish faith. And it shows up first in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, right? It says this, Hear, O Israel, again, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Again, Jesus added mind. And it goes on, it says, and these words that, that I command you today shall be on your heart. Check this out. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and when you're in the carpool line, and when you're on your way to soccer practice, and before they go to prom, and before they go off to college. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be like frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts, and the Hebrew for doorpost is the foundation of your house and on your gates. Maybe as you begin to think about what rules your heart, maybe as you begin to think about what occupies your soul, what consumes your mind, what you aim your strength at, and maybe you're realizing right now it is not love for God. And it is not love for people. And it's not really even love at all. As you think about the life and the houses that you've built, you're starting to realize it's on shaky ground. And this sucker could collapse at any minute. And it's not just going to fall on you. It's not just going to fall on me. It's going to fall on all of the people that you're supposed to care the most about. I've got some good news for you. Today can be the day when you begin to take action and do something about what your life is built on, depending on, and counting on to hold up when it comes to the fires of life. Today can be the day that you reset the cornerstone of your family, your marriage, your relationships, your parenting, all of that kind of stuff. From it is what it is, or it's too late for us, or this is just how it goes, to what it says in Joshua chapter 24. Verses 14 and 15, Joshua says this, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord, fear means to hold him in reverence and awe, it doesn't mean to actually be afraid of him, but to hold him in reverence and awe, to respect him. Now fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Basically Joshua says this, that the house that built you doesn't have to be the house that builds your spouse and your kids. The house that built you, let me just say it one more time, doesn't have to be the house that builds your spouse or your kids. You do not have to continue the cycles of sin that have gone on for generations and generations in your family. You can actually be the one that breaks that and says that we're going to do this a different way. And Joshua goes on and says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you dwell, but catch this. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. So church, I'm asking you, choose today. Stop faking it on a Sunday morning. 
or faking it in a life group or in a Bible study on Wednesday nights. Choose today who you're going to serve. And go all in. And if you find that your house is built on sand, on shaky ground, today's the day that can change. So I'm going to end with this. Get ready to take pictures. Here's just a handful of questions for you to think about. Don't answer these right now. Don't look. And here's, we're going to have to set some ground rules like we did in our men's series. Um, in this portion, right, just look at me. Don't look at the, no passive aggressive, <clears throat> nothing like that. These will be conversation starters, hopefully, as you're on your way home. Here's the question. First one is this. What word or words would, use, would you use right now to describe your home? What are the words, next one is this, what are the words you wished described your home? And as you kind of think about that, just like the song said, like, you know, they, they cut out the, the pictures in Homes and Gardens magazines and Daddy Built the House and Mama's Dreams, right, those kinds of things. If you had the kind of home that would give or satisfy in your life, like, like if you had that kind of home, what would, what would that do? If you had the house of your dream, if you had the life of your dreams, what would that give you and what would that satisfy in your life? What's standing in the way of any of that becoming real? for you. My guess is most of us, what we're going to find is what's standing in the way is actually us. And this last one's a longer one. What would, it, what would you be willing to look at? Right? Would you be willing to look at the different aspects of your life that make up your home? And would you be willing to see that if what Jesus says is good, right, best, and true, if you put that into practice, actually could lead to a life, to a home that won't collapse or burn down? Would you be willing to do that? So here's your homework. This is, this is the conversation starter later, right? Think about this. Fill in this blank. As for me and my house, we are. What are you serving? What are you giving your heart, soul, mind, and strength to? What are you expecting and hoping will provide for you? Is it sand or is it a rock? Because here's why I'm going to ask this question. This is why I need us to think about this and hold on to this. Write it down somewhere where you can see it, where you can remember it. Because here's the deal. We can't get to where we want to go if we don't know where we are. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how we get where we need to go. But we have to answer this question first. And we got to look at some stuff in the mirror that maybe we've not wanted to look at in a long time. But it's not too late. It isn't just what it is. Because Jesus gets involved. Today is the day that that can change. Today can be the day that in your family, you can say from now on. That your kids, when they're telling stories to your grandkids, can say, you know, our family was like this, but then mom and dad got together and everything changed. And from that moment, it was a Sunday, a random Sunday in September. And from that moment, things changed. Wasn't always good, wasn't always perfect, but man, it was different. Today can be that day, and here's the only way that's possible, Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to worship as we wrap up today. And today, if you need prayer, I'd love to meet you down front. We can pray. If today you want to join our church, want to plant your flag, want this to be your family, we'd love to welcome you in. Or if today's the day that you want to say, listen, I've been, I've been chasing other stuff, and I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to go all in when it comes to my heart, mind, soul, and strength on him. I'd love to meet you down front. I'm going to pray for us, and let's worship together. Jesus, we love you. And we are so grateful 
for your word and your truth that reminds us that there's a better way to do this. So Jesus, I would pray today that, that even despite the fact that, that sometimes it, it feels like it's hard to buy or hard to believe or well, what happens if it isn't true? Father, today I pray that you would meet us in that space with all of our doubts and all of our questions and you would be as patient and merciful and graceful with us as you have been with people like us for centuries since the beginning of time. That you would point our eyes to you, that we would realize that it's on you that we can build our lives and that we can trust you. That you love us and you like us and you want what's good for us. Jesus, today I pray that we can put the things that we're trying to build our lives on that are not of you, I pray that we can have the courage to say, hey, we're done with that. So that we can create that space for you. That we would choose you. Jesus, we love you and we pray all this in your name. Everybody said, amen. Let's see in a worship.